0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, is going to be joining me after five o'clock. The man, of course, tasked with solving not only the trolley crisis but the various other crises that exist within our health system. And it is there where we start because I am joined now by Roisin Shorto. Roisin, of course, is co leader of the Social Democrats. Roisin, how do you. Assess the situation in our hospitals at the moment.
1: Good evening, Kieran. Well, the situation is pretty dire. There's no doubt about that. Um, It's appalling, and uh, like it's a very basic thing that we have a functioning health service so that people are when they're in need of care that. The system can actually respond to them. Unfortunately, that's not the case at the moment. Um, we've had difficulties and serious difficulties with our health service for a very long time, for several years. And there are fundamental problems there in relation to the way in which the health service is organised and the way it's managed. You know, it operates very much in silos. The hospitals do their thing, the GPs do theirs, other uh, primary care and community do their thing. And of course, healthcare is an integrated. Uh, should be an integrated service but that's not the way it works here in this country and you know there have been ongoing difficulties and problems that have been ignored for years it's you know that saying that if you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome that is, you know it, it's madness that. Yeah. And that's what has been happening here. We've seen the problems, the problems have been identified solutions have been put forward but we keep making the same mistakes so that, you know, when the system beco- comes under particular pressure and it's under pressure for a large part of the year, but when it comes under particular pressure at this time of the year with COVID and with, it, with the various, you know, flus and, and, and uh, respiratory illnesses and it just cannot cope and that's where we are at the moment so there is a real crisis there at the moment but we need to tackle that crisis as best we can Mm. in the short term but we also need to learn blooming lessons from this i mean this happens to a certain degree every single year yes why aren't we learning the lessons and why aren't the reforms taking
0: place why why do you think they're not taking place. Why do you think we keep doing the same thing and expect a different result?
1: I think part of it is because there has never been, up to recent years, there has never been agreement on the kind of health system. That we should have in this country. I mean, other European countries have had this kind of discussion in the UK 70 years ago. Like all across Europe, there are universal single tier health services. Uh, And that is regarded as a fundamental part of of good government that, you know, that there is a service there in place when you need it and that cost isn't a barrier to that. We haven't had that discussion up to recently. Um, We have a, a very problematic two tier system where, you know, there is a conflict there between the public and the private all of the time. And, you know, in 2017, this the committee, the Cross-Party Committee on the Future of Healthcare, produced its report, a reform program, a 10-year reform program called Slauncha Care. That identified all of the key problems within the health service. It set out a plan over a 10-year period that was costed on how we can get from the current dysfunctional system to a system that is to the systems in the rest of Europe where you have a properly functioning service. Now you know for the first few years of that since 17 there wasn't much done about it. Uh, There was no kind of uh, serious policy um, from the government in the last couple of elections. We're now at a situation where you know all parties agree this is a you know, the way forward. And yet implementation of it is slow. And, you know, th- there are plenty of people that are opposed to the social programme. They don't want to see reform. No. Because there's potential, there's potential, those people who are making a lot of money out of the dysfunction within the health service. You know, and, and there's various industries around that, and there's various individuals. So, like, it, 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 it's quite clear that if we have a uh, dysfunctional public health service, that means more and more people are being forced into a situation where they feel they have to take out private health insurance, and you know that is a very profitable kind uh, of so whole area pri- private, private health
0: care health. operators are slowing down staunch care.
1: Well, look, it's not in their interest. That's the point. But like, I have nothing against private health care, but the state shouldn't be subsidising it. And the state and the government has a responsibility to ensure that there's a properly functioning public health service. As I say, like, we're out of line with the rest of Europe completely on this. In every other European country, there's a universal public health service that the vast majority of people are more than happy to use. And it's it's that social contract. Like people pay their taxes and they have yeah. a right to expect that in return, there's good public services like education. But I just, I, just want to, in, in
0: what way, I, I accept that, you know, private operators make more money when the public system is dysfunctional because more people will stretch that bit further to pay for private health insurance to get private care. But I, I'm still confused as to how you claim that they're the ones slowing down the implementation of so care. I'm,
1: I'm actually not claiming they're doing it. I'm saying that if you have a weak public service, then this, the the private sector sees opportunities there and does the rational thing and they provide services that yeah. people have to pay but for. But that they're entitled and to I'm, do. i I sorry. Well, Maybe you the a bit across cross
0: wires because what I asked was, you said there there are people who are who who, who are, are working against the implementation of that agenda. And I said <laughs> but, who, but and the, you said that, the people making money, the private operators.
1: Sorry, let, let me just clarify that then. So if you have... a The converse of what I'm saying is also the case. If you have a strong public health service that, you know, is available to people and they're happy to use it as a result of paying their taxes, well, then there's little demand for private health care. Mm. So, like, the, 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 it's two sides of the same coin here. And, it, it, you know, it's a, a question of... Whether the government of the day is prepared to put the investment and the reform into ensuring that we have a good, a, a properly functioning public health uh, service mm. and standing up, I suppose, to the vested interests who don't want to see that, people who and, and interests that are making money out of it. And we know, and this is said all of the time, that there are vested interests within the health service who don't want to see the kind of reform that will result in a good public service. And we, we need government uh, and we need the ministers and it is an all-of-government thing. It's not only the Minister for Health but we need a commitment to doing those things, to st- having the courage to stand up to those interests, the vested interests that, that don't want to see the reform. So, so, oh, the, so
0: again, sorry, are those vested interests the private hospitals?
1: Uh, there, there are lots of different uh, sectors and, and interests that are making money out of it. And yeah. Naturally, they don't want to see a a better functioning public health service because that impacts their business. So like, I I don't think It's a big charge now.
0: The VHI and Irish Life and all these private hospitals, they they don't want the Irish health system to function.
1: Look, if we have a a, a well-functioning public health service, then that impacts their business. So like, that's just the reality of things. And I suppose because of the fact that there has always been resistance to a proper universal public health service, universal access to care. And there's been like, you can go back as far as the mother and child scheme, yeah. you know, and it, those issues in the 40s and 50s, where, you know, there were all... But I, I, just, I suppose that that I'm, I'm to struggling to understand
0: how, how the VHI or, or somebody like that have any influence on the implementation of Launch of Care? No, I, I'm but not I sure I agree that they might lament its implementation, but even if I did agree with you on that front that they do because it, 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 it might undermine their business model or their profitability, I, do, I don't know what that has to do with a politician showing the political leadership to implement it or the HSE oh, oh, embracing I, I, it or the Department of Health embracing it.
1: Yeah, And, and I was stating those things as just facts. And businesses act rationally. And I don't blame businesses for acting rationally, where there's potential for them to increase their business. That's fine. That's their business. But it is the business of government to ensure that there's an adequate, properly functioning public health service. And the Irish government has never done that. They have always kind of bent the knee to private uh, business interests. And, and that is a problem and that's why I'm saying what is required is courage on the part of government and like for a very long time there wasn't agreement on what kind of health service we needed to have. The Slaunch Care process produced that plan. All parties signed up to it and what we need now is government actually implementing that and what that entails like there's a number of different aspects to it but I mean t- take the whole question of the shortage of hospital beds. A key recommendation for from staunch care is that we should have three elective hospitals so that you have three hospitals that operate like the private clinics where they're just doing elective surgery. So it's not in conflict with the EDs. Now, mm-hmm. that recommendation was made seven years ago. Uh, we haven't had the sod turned on that. Equally, we would say that the difficulty is that as I said earlier, you know, you have siloed approaches to working uh, within the health service. The the hospital sector gets a big chunk of money every year. They do, and there's very little actual accountability for that, the community gets another sec- uh, uh, chunk of money yeah. and, and th- there's very little um, integration and like one of the, the prime examples of that I would say is that, you know, we talk about the need for extra hospital beds at any one time there's about 600 patients in our acute hospitals who uh, are ready to be discharged, they're ready to move on, either go home uh, with support or go out to a step down facility, a nursing home or rehabilitation bed. And yet, you know, there is no relationship between the hospitals and the community. If we're serious about freeing up hospital beds, why don't we concentrate on, you know, having adequate home care services and step-down facilities? That's something that could be done very, very quickly. And that would immediately free up a large number of hospital beds. So that shows the lack of kind of joined-up thinking that there is in the health service.
0: Rosheen listen thanks so many for taking the time to speak to us. So Rosheen Shortland is co-leader uh, of the Social Democrats. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cothe. With Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.